Welcome to this special episode of the Beck Lover Podcast. Today I'm going to be getting into the events that occurred yesterday between the Israelis and the Palestinians in the Middle East and just how horrible things are developing over there. There's so many different angles to this conflict which has been going on over the last 70 years between these two ethnic groups. But the conflict in Jerusalem, the conquest of Jerusalem has been going on since the beginning of time from the Babylonians to the Persians to the ancient Romans to the Muslim conquest to the Crusades to the Ottoman Empire to World War I, World War II and where we are today. I am going to try to cover how we got to where we are and what happened yesterday and to try to be fair to both sides. But I also have some very interesting questions like, how did this attack happen? But before I get into my analysis of yesterday's events, please hit subscribe, check out all the other content. You can also follow becklover.com for all my social media links and my content that comes out pretty much every single day. Today we're going to talk about what is known as the State of Israel, which also encompasses the Palestinian territories. This small piece of land, which people have been fighting over literally for the last couple thousands of years. It's probably one of the most dangerous places in the world as far as history is concerned. And many empires have passed through there. And its soils drenched in blood of people that supposedly believe in God. It disappoints me to see a place that houses the three religions, very important religious sites, instead of it being a place of serenity and peace, it is a battleground and it continues to be one and it saddens my heart. I hope with today's episode we can look at some interesting points and maybe try us, since the world leaders in the United Nations uh, can't figure it out and some would blame them for actually creating this mess let's take a look at it and again let me know your thoughts and comments and i'm sure you guys are going to go back and forth and uh, it's just one of those situations that's just really a cluster cluster f-u-c-k one of my biggest questions is how the hell did this rinky dink you know terrorist network which people say is financed by Iran, because it seems like that's where they want to take this all. They want to maybe escalate this into a war with Iran, which I really hope doesn't happen. But how the hell did Hamas penetrate one of the most militarily advanced, technologically advanced countries on the face of the planet with a spy network that is second to none, some would argue even more powerful and more intelligent than the CIA itself? How the hell did they not see this coming? And how was their reaction time so delayed? I'm asking more than I'm trying to um, tell you. I, I, if any of you can point me towards information, you know, I've saw the videos, but it just something just doesn't seem right with this whole situation. I'm showing video footage here, shows these guys with little fans and paragliders, and they're going, you know, towards what is called the Iron Wall which is literally a massive project that surrounds the entire Gaza Strip's border with the Israeli territory. Has sensors, cameras, armed guards, I mean, drone patrols, you name it. How the hell they didn't see this coming? 
you know, it, 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 you know, we're going to get into that a little bit more. But this is one of my biggest questions from yesterday. I, I don't understand. Jerusalem is the home to all three fates in the sense that there's very important sites um, for Judaism. You know, it is like their most important site. And Islam is the second most important site after Mecca and Saudi Arabia. But it is a direction that Muslims prayed towards before they started praying towards Mecca. Obviously, in Christianity, they have the, you know, all the grounds that Jesus Christ walked and where he was allegedly crucified and the tomb of the Holy Secular. And, and there's just, it's just very important to all three faiths. Will this conflict expand beyond Israel's borders? If I was a betting man, I'd say yes. And I believe this has the potential to be a powder keg for the entire Middle East. And that is what I fear and I hope somehow, some way, which I don't put much faith in our leaders anywhere in the world, I hope there's a way to bring peace to the Middle East once and for all. Of course, Israel's biggest allies, United States of America, we give them billions of dollars. And yesterday after the attack, we sent aircraft carrier and a ton of money instantly to our ally in the Middle East. Will we be pulled into a conflict because of Israel. A lot of people believe we are inching towards the end times, or what is known as Armageddon, a war of religion, factions throughout the face of the planet, and this might be one step closer to it, if you, know, you believe in uh, the Aramaic religions. The Jews believe the Messiah hasn't come yet. Christians and Muslims both believe the Messiah will come back Jesus Christ he already came and he's going to return and he will be the one that rules over Jerusalem the Jews don't believe in Jesus Christ they believe that someone else will be the Messiah who will rule from Jerusalem will we go to war with Iran and what could that mean we're already in a proxy war with Russia this would be the next war and can America afford another massive massive conflict and would Russia back Iran if Israel hits Iran? Since they're already whispering in the news that, you know, Iran is the reason Hamas was able to do what they did yesterday. So this has the potential to become very dangerous for the entire world. Again, a place that should be a place of peace and refuge for everyone. But I don't think anyone there is acting godlike. I think everyone there forgot the Ten Commandments. And there is no innocent side. I don't care. I have family and friends on both sides. And the truth of the matter is, it's just a horrible situation. I don't see a way out. And I hope that the world can finally step in and do what's right here. The question is, what is right? Should it be one state or should it be two states? I am going to cover the history of the modern state of Israel briefly. And... We can debate in the comments whether there should be two states or just one. But before I start that, I'd like to start with my message of unity. I'd like to remind every Muslim, Christian, and Jew on earth of my message. Muslims and Christians and Jews are brothers, they're cousins. The fact that they fight each other is a disgrace, that's called ignorance. Where they would realize they have much more in common than they don't, and that they're being perpetrated against each other. What is going on in the Middle East is unexcusable. Both sides are guilty. Both sides have done horrible things to each other. It's not about whose land it is. All of us belong to God. There must be a way to bring 
peace to the Middle East. There is no excuse. Both sides have done horrible things to each other, and there's no denying that. As someone who lost his family in war, having lost my family in the Kosovo War, which is another place that might have a conflict very soon, the world is literally on the brink of massive conflicts at all of its usual hotspots, the Balkans, the Middle East, and of course the war that's going on with Russia and Ukraine, which is far from over. Are we really on the brink of World War III? Some say we're already in it. Some say it started on September 11th. I do believe that we are in a time of mass chaos, mass deception, and a lot of us really don't have any idea what the hell is going on. I want to start with my questions about yesterday before I get into the history of Israel. The Iron Wall, anyone that's visited Gaza or Israel can tell you they built this massive wall. It has cameras throughout. It has sensors below and above ground. It even has detection if they someone wants to attack um, from the sea. So my question is, like, how the hell were they able to... Uh, keep in mind, there's satellite imagery. There's drones that are constantly patrolling the area. There's armed guards on that border, back and forth. Where the hell was all of this technology? Where was all this technology? This was a massive barrier that runs the length of the entire Gaza Strip. And the fence is both above and below the ground, spans the entire 65 kilometers length of Israel's border with the Palestinian territory. The barrier is meant to counter the threat of cross-border attack tunnels dug by Palestinian militant outfit Hamas. Now, I understand the attack was aerial. Israel's defense minister, Benny Gantz, you know, said that this wall was created as an iron wall. It's the most technologically advanced. It's a countermeasure. It helps surveil the border, something that we probably need right now in the U.S. It's also meant to stop Hamas militants from infiltrating into southern uh, Israel. And they started building this after the 2014 invasion where Hamas militants dug tunnels to get into Israel. Um, I just don't understand how they were able to conduct this attack and again, before I get into that, I'm, you know, I'm going to play another clip about this iron wall and uh, what you guys think. I mean, it's just really weird to me. Shifting our focus now in a bit to counter threats from the Hamas militants, Israel has completed a barrier along the Gaza border. Israel describes it as an iron wall, which runs the length of the Gaza Strip, both above and below the ground. The massive barrier that spans 65 kilometers took three and a half years to complete. It is equipped with underground sensors, radars, cameras. The project's smart fence is more than 20 feet high. But the defense ministry did not disclose the depth of the underground wall. The underground reinforced concrete wall is studded with sensors to detect tunnels. Its maritime barriers include means to detect infiltration by sea. It includes a naval barrier, a remote-controlled weapons systems system, and a command control room. Now, present at the unveiling, Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz said that the structure places an iron wall between the Hamas organization and the residents of the southern Israel Gantz. Gantz also vowed that the barrier will provide Israeli citizens a sense of security. Sensors warn when something nears the concrete wall. 
did they have a massive failure of this 3.5 billion shekel project? It just doesn't make sense to me that Hamas was able to penetrate this wall without alerting any of these sensors, any of these cameras, any of the armed guards along the walls. Yes, they flew over, but there's videos of them also breaking the fence, supposedly, the bulldozer, and then getting across and getting all these unexpected Israelis kidnapped. I mean, did they stand down? Did they know what was coming? I, I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. If someone can explain in the comments how they were this effective in getting across and getting that many people killed and alerted, I know they have like, you know, radar, you know, like um, alarm systems when they're under attack, which will put everybody on edge inside Israel. It's just a lot. It just makes me ask a lot of questions. And, you know, even the defense ministers, the sensors, concrete. I mean, it's all here. You guys can research it on your own. I don't want to beat a dead horse. But it does not make sense to me how that many of them were able to get across at the same time. Then it leads to questions about the Iron Dome system, which blocks rockets. So I'm not denying that these events happened. I'm just not understanding how they could have been that effective with all of this technology on their side. Were they paying attention? Were they not paying attention? Was there a failure in the Iron Wall? Like I said, Israel has one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful in technology, um, definitely in the region. They are very advanced technologically. I think, if I'm not mistaken, most drones are made in Israel. Like, these guys are ahead of the game. They have one of the best intelligence agencies, if not the best, in the world. So how did they not see this coming at all? Like, completely... There's no footage of them fighting last second or like, where's all these guards on the border? <clears throat> a lot of Israelis are armed. They keep weapons on them. They're allowed to, if I'm not mistaken. So these are just questions I have, guys. Do you think that they purposely stood down and allowed this to happen? Or was it a major failure on their intelligence, their technology? You know, maybe there was a cyber attack. I do not know. But to me, it's just crazy how easily these guys are able to create that type of chaos um, across the border. Now, what's scary about the situation is that this could draw us, the United States, into a massive war with Iran, even though we just gave them billions of dollars. And it just seems like nothing makes sense anymore in the world. Nothing makes sense former State Department spokesperson and founder of Polaris National Security. This is from Fox News. Morgan, um, it feels like we're in uncharted territory here, even though we're talking about a region that is historically quite volatile. You just heard Trey Yang saying that he's never seen fighting quite like this before. So break down the situation at hand from your perspective and how the United States should respond to this. Well, first of all, I'm in the Middle East right now. I'm coming live to our audience from Doha, uh, from Qatar. Uh, and I can tell you that the, the Qataris and the people I'm talking with here today, everybody was caught by surprise. And there will be a whole assessment of why that happened. But just to set the bigger context, uh, this is Shabbat in Israel uh, right now. This is also a high holy day, Simhat Torah. Uh, this is, we're, we're at the end of Yom Kippur. We also know that this attack is basically coming on uh, the anniversary, the 50-year anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, where sadly, 
as we all remember in our history, is Israel was also surprised in the attack on that day. Now, what's really different about this attack, um, uh, as Pete was just describing, compared to like the Yom Kippur War per se, uh, is the sophistication of the terrorists uh, and how th this this was designed also for social media. You can see that Hamas and their entities uh, are showing the attacks. They were showing uh, their militants coming in on these gliders, um, and they're getting this stuff out in social media uh, to try to rev up uh, the Arab world, and you saw that immediately they were calling uh, for Hezbollah, which is in Lebanon, again, as Pete pointed out, uh, they were calling for all of these various terrorist factions to unite. Now, what do all of these terrorist factions have in common? So you have Hamas, which is in Gaza, you have Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, you have the Houthis in Yemen. We could go through all the lists of, of uh, terrorist organizations. What they all have in common, they're all trying to kill Israel and they are all funded by Iran. So why am I in the Middle East, Carly? I was here, uh, I was set to go to Israel on Monday, which I will obviously not be doing now, to go to a conference that is focused on Israel and Arab peace. And as we know, the Biden administration has been working and trying to get a normalization agreement between Israel and Saudi. And what does Iran want to do? What does Hamas want to do? They obviously have a vested interest in making sure that Israel cannot be at peace with other Arab uh, states, especially not with Saudi Arabia. So uh, number one, Iran is absolutely behind this today. And number two, I, I got to tell you that I am very, very concerned for the state of the world with Biden as president. And, and I am not trying to be overly political today by any means, but I can indict their policy. If we know that Iran is behind these attacks today from Hamas, uh, and we know that we just gave Iran $6 billion, how in the world does that make sense if we know that they are funding this terrorist activity? Also, in two weeks, in just two weeks from now, at the United Nations, the arms embargo will expire against uh, Iran. So, so in any event, it seems like everyone's going to point the finger at Iran. It's amazing to me how fast they can figure that out and just assume that Iran did that. I mean, what makes this woman so qualified to just say, yeah, it was Iran? When there's potential for war and our country is going to be pulled into it, we better know exactly what happened, how it happened, why it happened, and who was responsible. We shouldn't just point fingers like we did in Iraq and said there was weapons of mass destruction and we went there and spent trillions of dollars, lost millions of people's lives. So I'm not defending Iran, but at the same time, we better know as America, we cannot afford another massive war. We are in debt to our eyeballs. We have given out trillions of dollars to Ukraine, and even Iran now got billions of dollars, and a lot of us can't even pay our fucking bills right now. We cannot afford another massive war. We are at a very critical juncture in world history. The pot is boiling. There's a lot of hot spots that are about to flare up. <clears throat> And I would argue that we're in serious, serious trouble. Um, as someone who advocates for peace, I, I really don't know what else to say except God help us. I do want to get into a little bit about the history of Israel and the conflict between them and the Palestinians and kind of try to make it as simple as possible to understand for people that don't know the whole history. Of course, when you see images like you did yesterday, you're going to hate the Palestinians, you're going to think they're evil, you're going to think they're terrorists. But the truth of the matter is there's the Israeli side of this story, there's the Palestinian side of this, there's a Palestinian side of this story, and the truth is in the middle, my friends. Both sides have blood on their hands. Both sides have committed atrocities towards one another. 
the sad part is that traditionally throughout history, Muslims and Jews have a pretty good history. As a matter of fact, if you really want to look at which religion did more damage to Jews, it's, it was definitely Christianity. Not that we should be pointing fingers and saying you were more evil, but this hatred between Muslims and Jews that seems to be people are trying to brew it and stir it together, I want to refresh people's memories a little bit about that because traditionally Muslims always protected Jews compared to everywhere else in the world. Um, during the Crusades when the Muslims conquered Jerusalem, they did not expel the Jews, they did not massacre them. When the Christians took you know, took control of it, they killed everyone that wasn't Muslim or um, Jewish. I'm sorry, that was they killed everyone that was not Christian. You could watch the movie Kingdom of Heaven with Orlando Bloom. It goes over that whole thing. And when the Muslims reconquered it, they allowed the Christians to leave. Again, these are all complicated things to sit there and go back and analyze. But historically, Jews found refuge in Muslim lands compared to Christian lands. In Christian Europe, you had the Inquisition, which some would equate was even worse than the Holocaust. They were hunted down and massacred. And anyone that was even accused of being a Jew was tortured to confess that they were a Jew, and then they were executed. Like, it was crazy. They were killing people that weren't even Jews just because someone said, he's a Jew. Then they had the Holocaust. Again, these are all things that were started by Christian nations. It has nothing to do with the religion of Islam. As a matter of fact, Albania, which is a predominantly Muslim country, was the only country in Europe that had more Jews before the war started, sorry, after the war started than before. All the Jews that came to the Albanian territories were saved. Not that it had anything to do with religion, because Albanians are secular and they're just an amazing people. And there was Christian Albanians that helped save them too. But if there was that kind of animosity, maybe the Albanians would have handed them over to the Nazis, and they didn't. So how did this conflict come about, in my opinion? Very simple. The British. The British the British colonizers that colonized the whole world and created new borders and new countries and said, no, you're not going to live here no more. They're going to live here. And these people aren't going to, and they did this shit all over the world, guys, you know, just study colonialism, you know, British. So basically all this started after world war two, world war two Jews, unfortunately, because of history, they were spread all over the world. Horrible things happened to them. Did they have an ancient claim to the land? Yes, they do. But so do the Palestinians. They're also mentioned. And even here, when we look at the history of Israel, if we scroll down here, we can even see a map of Israel and Judah in the 9th century BCE. If you notice the kingdom of Israel, okay? And then you can see down here, Philistine states. So they were both there for a long time. And, you know, they're mentioned in the Bible and, Blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, we are past the point, in my opinion, of, you know, one side being able to say the other side shouldn't exist. They both have the right to live there. A lot of this chaos started after World War One, And if we look under it, under the British mandate, 1920 to 1948, the whole region was known as Palestine. Before that, that entire area was under the Ottoman Empire, the Muslims, supposedly, which some people would argue that the Ottoman Empire wasn't really a Muslim empire, they were a nationalist empire. But in any event, it was under people that call themselves Muslim. And it wasn't only until World War II that you really had this large 
returning of Jews around the world to what today is called Israel. Do they have a claim to the ancient times? Yes. Do the Palestinians also? Yes. Probably not where they're all located now. When we get to the history of the British mandate, that's really where this whole thing just got blown, you know, out of proportion and violence really entered the equation there. In 1917, during World War I, British Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour sent the Balfour Declaration to Lord Rothschild, a leader of the British Jewish community that stated that Britain intended for the creation of a Jewish national home in Palestine. In 1918, the Jewish Legion, a group primarily of Zionist volunteers. This is from Wikipedia, folks. These are not mine, so don't attack me in the comments. This is under the history of Israel on Wikipedia. So... It could be correct. It cannot be correct. I don't know. Some people don't respect Wikipedia. So again, please don't get your panties in a bunch and attack me. I'm just reading what's here in the public encyclopedia. In 1920, after the Allies, Allies conquered the Levant during World War I, the territory was divided between Britain and France under the mandate system, and the British-administered area, which included modern-day Israel, was named Mandatory Palestine. Arab opposition to British rule and the Jewish immigration led to 1920 Palestine riots and the formation of Jewish militia known as Hagna, meaning the defense in Hebrew, as an outgrowth of Hashomer, from which the Irgun and Lehi paramilitaries later split off. 1922, the League of Nations granted Britain the mandate for Palestine under terms which included the Balfour Declaration with its promise to the Jews and with similar provisions regarding the Arab-Palestinians. The population of the area at this time is predominantly Arab and Muslim, with Jews accounting for only about 11% of the population, and Arab Christians only 9.5%. So up until this moment, it was all Arab, Muslim, the majority, the overwhelming majority. 80% was Arab, Palestinian, Muslim, before the creation of the State of Israel. If we... Scroll down the history with countries around the world turning away Jewish refugees fl fleeing the Holocaust because then World War II started. A clandestine movement known as Aliyah Beit was organized to bring Jews to Palestine. By the end of World War II, the Jewish population of Palestine had increased to 31% of the total population. After World War II, the UK found itself facing a Jewish guerrilla campaign over Jewish immigration restrictions, as well as a continued conflict with the Arab community over limit levels. At the same time, hundreds of thousands of Jewish Holocaust survivors and refugees sought a new life far from the destroyed communities in Europe. The Haganah attempted to bring these refugees to Palestine in a program called Aliyah Beit, in which tens of thousands of Jewish refu refugees attempted to enter Palestine by ship. Most of the ships were intercepted by the Royal Navy, and the refugees rounded up and placed in detention camps in Altilt and Cyprus by the British. On the 22nd, July 1946, Ergen bombed the British administrative headquarters for Palestine, which was housed on the southern wing of the King David Hotel in Jerusalem. So it was a, a creation with violence. Let, let's be real. Let's be fair here, guys. You were all over Europe. You started to go back to your ancient homeland, and these people were living there too. So, I mean, it's kind of like how we got to where we are today, you know. They slowly started coming back. World War II sped that up. The violence increased. Britain eventually left. And on May 15, 1947, the General Assembly of the UN resolved that the United Nations Special Committee on Palestine be created to prepare for consideration at the next regular session of the Assembly a report on the question of Palestine. Now, they're referring to this place as Palestine in all of their documents, 
the British government, which is one of the most powerful in the world, wasn't calling it Israel, and I'm not saying Israel didn't exist and shouldn't exist, and they don't have, we're past that point. But what started out as refugees turned into them becoming a state. In September 1947, the British cabinet decided the mandate was no longer tenable and, and to evacuate Palestine. On 29 November 1947, the General Assembly ado adopted Resolution 181 recommending the adoption and implementation of the Plan of Partition with Economic Union. The Jewish Agency, which was recognized representative of the Jewish community, accepted the plan, which assigned 50 to 56% of mandatory Palestine to the Jews. At the time, the Jews were about a third of the population of Palestine and owned around 6 to 7% of the land. Now, again, this is in Israel's history on Wikipedia. Arabs constituted the majority of Palestine's population and owned about only 20% of the land, which the remainder held by the mandate authorities or foreign landowners. On December 1st, 1947, the Arab Higher Committee proclaimed the three-day strike. Riots broke out in Jerusalem. There was a lot of conflict during this time period, back and forth. On 14 May 1948, the day before the expiration of the British Mandate, David Ben-Gurion, the head of the Jewish Agency, declared the establishment of the Jewish state in Ephrates, Israel, to be known as the State of Israel. The only reference in the text of the Declaration to the borders of the new state is the use of the term Eretz Israel, Land of Israel. The following day, the armies of four Arab countries, Egypt, Syria, Transjordan, and Iraq, entered into parts of what had been British Mandatory Palestine, launching the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. Then the conflict started ever since. The most important thing here, if we're going to be fair to both sides, is that they did come in the 40s. Yes, they have a claim to their ancient land back then, but with that standard, that would mean that the Native Americans have a right to come back now and wipe us all out too. Like I said, we're way past this point. Israel's existed for 70 years. We have two populations that cannot stand each other, that hate each other, that had violence with each other under the British rule, and then they just left the mess like that and left, and it's been going on ever since. And over time... The land controlled by Palestinians has gotten much smaller and some would equate what they're living into as an actual apartheid. This does not justify what they did yesterday or the killing of civilians or the kidnapping of civilians, but both sides have legitimate claims. Both of them are killing each other. There's no way to get one or the other to leave. So the world, I think, needs to step in and split these two people up completely and give them an equal amount of land maybe to what it was before you guys take half you say i don't know i don't know what the answer is all i know is it's not good what's going on over there it's horrible what's going on and it has the potential to pull the whole world into conflict we got so close to peace a few times if you guys remember in 1992 yitzhak rabin became the prime minister following an election he signed the Oslo Accords, and he was assassinated. He has a street named after him in New York City. He was assassinated by an extremist from his own people and not from the Palestinian side. There has been a lot of violence both ways, and the Israelis have also bombed the hell out of them um, 
A lot of civilians have died in the past from their attacks. So these two people hate each other as much as anyone can hate each other. And I'm just sad that there's no way to fix this. The world created this mess. And the world should have established two states from the get-go. You know, is what they should have done. If you're going to force these two people to live together, then maybe you should have separated them from the get-go. Um, I do not know what the answer is. I have no answers. I'm asking questions. Where does it go from here? What happens next? Will this pull the world into conflict? I don't know, but it makes me sad, and I pray for peace in the Middle East. I pray for people that claim to believe in God on all sides, Jews, Muslims, Christians, to stand together, to walk together, to protest together, and try to call for some resolution before this thing spirals out of control. If we end up hitting Iran, we're going to have some serious problems. And I think it'll pull the U.S. in, Russia and Iran, maybe versus America and Israel. I do not know. But we are in unprecedented times. We are in the danger zone. And I really hope we can find a way to finally bring peace to the Middle East without wiping out one side or the other, which is not the answer either. This is the Beck Lover Podcast. I hope you'll stay tuned. Check out our future content. And drop me some comments, guys. What do you think about all this stuff, man? Uh, this is a very simple explanation. Obviously, the history is a lot more complicated, but you can go back and read it all. And my assessment is real simple. You know, regardless of their historical claims to the land, they were not the majority living there in the 40s. They did come in. They did kind of take over. They kind of were backed by the world in the U.S. And if you're a Palestinian, of course you're going to hate them. Of course you're not going to want to be nice to them. And there's been violence on both sides. And like I said, we're way past the point of one or the other, you know, or maybe the world steps in, makes it all one country, Palestinians have an equal amount of representation in the government based on their population and theirs. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how we fix this. If you guys have a solution or an idea, we're thinking out loud. I'm tired of seeing these two cousins kill each other. Arabs and Israelites, Jews are cousins. They're both the children of Abraham. They both supposedly believe in God. And for them to kill each other back and forth like this is absolutely horrifying, disgusting, sad, tragic. And I pray for peace in the Middle East. This is Beck Lover. We'll see you on the next episode of the Beck Lover Podcast. Beck Lover.